Let's pray together. Father, thank you that as we gather in our homes all across the community and people are watching from around the world this morning, God, wherever we are gathered together in your name, you're meeting with us. We have this assurance. God, we have the promise that you know what our needs are even before we ask, but you've told us, come and ask, because you want that interaction, you want that fellowship. And Father, we're going to lift many needs to you today and throughout the week, and we do ask you, please care for our families. Lord, keep us healthy. Lord, keep us safe. Lord, give us strong immune systems to overcome whatever viruses and and things we're facing that we can't see. Lord, we know greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And even though we have adversaries and many obstacles, we know that we have your Holy Spirit living in our hearts. And Lord, we are assured because of that. We're assured that we're going to be cared for. We're assured that we have a mission and a purpose. Father, as we open the word of God and as Pastor David and I explain uh, the word of God this morning, I pray that you would open our understanding. Lord, enlighten us and confirm the truth to our hearts. Be our guide into the truth. Father, thank you for your blessings. Lord, we give you praise for that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's play some musical chairs. Yeah. David, you want to come in here? Yeah. You can switch over. Let's move over and let Pastor David in here for a minute. And uh, last last week, uh, we kind of were talking about the big picture, the narrative of the Bible. I want to just preface our message before Pastor David takes off. Uh, this is really a two-parter. Uh, what we're going to do today, we decided, was much too intense for one setting. Yeah. Even the round table last week got way out of control yeah. because Jeremy was in the picture, but <laughs> we moved him out, and it'll be much more manageable today. So uh, we split this into two parts. So we're going to do hot spots, part mm-hmm. one and part two. And uh, you'll understand why we call it hot spots. We know that's a term you understand. Uh, you know it means... Uh, I don't have any bars. Wait, wait, wait. I'm moving over here. Okay, I'm con- I see a hot spot. I'm connected to something. I found a portal. I found access to connect to a network, a Wi-Fi, a signal. I'm connected to something I can't see, but I can see the evidence yeah. that I'm connected to it, yeah. and I'm getting signal. I'm getting the Internet or, or whatever. Right. Uh, and we want to use that term hot spots to really, because I think it does explain very well yep. what's happening in the Old Testament and really into the new. But right. we're going to deal with the Old Testament today. Yes. So yes. I tell you what, just get us started. Let's right. go. And, and so y'all going to have to listen fast today uh, because we're going to try to move through. And, and if we move too fast and you're like, oh, I wish I could, you know, <laughs> yes. you can rewind this. That's right. But you can also text questions like you did last week to... Uh, Pastor Jeremy, and we've seen some of your questions already pop up. Uh, oh, wait, what's happening? It says answer. Text your answer? Text your question. Uh, text your question. Question. To, to this <laughs> There you go. Thanks, Jeremy. And, uh, uh, I, and let me just acknowledge, B. Persaud asked a fantastic question last week. B, if you're watching, we got your question. It's it's an awesome question. It's a question that a lot of people probably want an answer to. It'll show up in the coming messages. Right. We'll weave it right into the narrative that we're explaining. She's asking questions about, you know, where are my loved ones? Where did sure. the dead go? What happens when I 
they're coming. Just hold on to that. That's going to be addressed in just a few weeks. The first hot spots. Yes. So, so let's go. So last week, like you said, we talked about the kind of the overall narrative of the Bible. What is it about? And we, we tried to change what's kind of in our paradigm, or at least what we've thought has been our framework of looking at the Bible in the past. And it is that, uh, uh, it's not about, how about that? It's not about going to heaven when you die. That's not the emphasis of the that is story. Not, that is not the story the Bible is right. telling. Instead, the Bible is telling a story about the reunification of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth coming back together. Um, we see that clearly in Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2, where heaven and earth are overlapping. And then there's something that occurs. But then the rest of the Bible tells us, after Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, that there is going to be some reunification that happens. And then ultimately, our hope as Christians is not that we'll go somewhere and have spatial heavenly Leave my bodies, body, exactly. fly away in spirit form yes. to live with God in heaven for eternity. Right. That is not the story of the Bible. Correct. The story is that we will, that heaven's actually coming heaven's to Heaven's coming to earth. And that we'll receive resurrected bodies living, uh, we, what do we say, spirit, we will have spirits that are embodied. Yeah. Spirits that are you embodied. You were always meant to be yes. an embodied spirit. That's right. You were never meant to be outside of a body. And the earth will be filled with God's presence and we will be right along with him working to, to bring out that potential that the earth was always supposed to have within that beginning project in you. So some of the big like thesis questions for this conversation that we're going to have uh, might be, how does God plan to reunite heaven and earth? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big question we should be asking right now. Okay, if this is really what the Bible's about, right. reunification of heaven, then how does God plan to pull that off? Right. Has he t- articulated that plan mm-hmm. in his word, or has he given us signposts that that is actually coming to pass sure. in, our, in past history and in our present yeah. uh, right now? Uh, how, how does God plan to pull that off, the right. reunification of heaven? What's involved in that? And that is information that's in the Bible and something we'll talk about a little yeah. bit. Uh, another question might be, what is my role? Mm-hmm. What is your role? What is our role yeah. in that reunification? If God is going to reunite heaven and earth, what's our yeah. role in that? Is that something he pulls off by himself right. without our participation? Or is that something he wants us to pull off in cooperation sure. with, with his divine yeah. work? You know, and I think one of the other big questions is a, just a, a question we have in general. How does knowing what the Bible's about, mm-hmm. how does knowing what God's plan is bring meaning to my life? Right. How does it bring purpose to my life? Is my life just about going to work, earning some money, putting food on the table so I can mow the grass and get the kids to, I mean, is that really what life's about? Or if when I understand God's big purpose and what he's trying to pull off and I see my role, if I have a role in it, does that then define what my life is about? So uh, I guess the consensus from the staff, the reason we really want to do this series of messages is because we think that knowing God's plan Mm -hmm. uh, is something you should know God's what he's doing. Because without that, you don't really know how to live right. your life right. for the glory of God. You, you don't really understand. Last week, you used the word vocation. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve were given a vocation, something to do. Yeah. And regardless of what happened in the fall, man still has a vocation. Right. And when we 
hone in on what that is and understand it in God's plan, then we know what our what our life is really about. Um, one of the things that uh, you and I have been talking about is that we, we uh, in John, John's talking about God is love. Mm-hmm. If we don't love our brothers, then we don't really know God. Right. And uh, we think what the Bible's really teaching is that we're not merely recipients of God's love. Right. We're not just takers. Not only, right. But we are to be instruments. Yeah. Uh, we're, to, we're to give out love yeah. since we have received God. We're agents of God's love. Uh, and the same in this kingdom conversation we're having. We're not merely recipients yeah. of God's kingdom. We're actually agents for sure. God's kingdom. In other words, God, what God's doing here, we're not just the object of his. We're going to do something for humanity. Yeah. Humanity, you and I, actually are part of the plan to get it implemented. Yeah. And understanding that then gives well, us meaning. And it's a wild promise, actually. But it's what we see pictured in Genesis. Again, we, we've got to go back every time to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 to understand what the Bible is even trying to tell us at all or to frame reality the way that it is. And so if we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we can see that God has always uh, wanted heaven and earth to overlap. That's what, it, that's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, that they were overlaid, that man's kingdom and God's kingdom are one. They're not, there's not two like separate realms. They are completely overlapping. Again, when we talk about heaven, it's both a reality where God is, but it's also a descriptor about where his will is done all the time. Uh, it, it's, it's the place where, where he defines good and evil and where his will is done. And so when we talk about heaven on earth, we're not saying that God's throne room necessarily is come down or whatever. Uh, but what we are saying is that heaven in the sense of it as a metaphor, again, there's a concrete thing, but there's also a metaphorical sense to the word that God's space is with us. His presence is with, is with us. His, his uh, presence with his will is being his done. Will is with us. That's right. Being done. We are understanding. He called, he sets the rules for yeah. what is good and evil. And we've aligned with his will and his rule and his reign and his guideposts. We're not over here freelancing, Correct. saying we are human gods. <laughs> that's right. And, and that's kind of the two ends of the that's spectrum right. there. Uh, and, and so that's what we see pictured. And that's exactly why, again, why we want to talk about all this, because if we're going to talk about implementing God's plan, then we have to know that what was he intending yeah. for us in the first so place? So start in Genesis 2 with the garden. What did God do? So he creates this beautiful place. Uh, I mean, it's mountains and rivers and the humans are to carry out, you've said it again, their vocation. They're to be like God and to work for him. And I, I think work is an interesting idea. What were they working? Uh, I mean, surely in a garden, there's going to be weeds and there's going to be grass to, to cut down and there's yeah. going to be, you know, I get to shoo the animals away over here or whatever. There's things to be doing. Um, there are things to arrange and order and work and organize. And organize. That's right. Uh, new things and new places to go within the garden. Um, and so the garden is a really interesting thing that I think we need to focus in and, and talk about for a minute. Um, because, and this is kind of a surprising statement, Eden isn't just a garden. Eden, Something much bigger is happening. Much bigger. It's, it's also a temple or a picture of a temple. I mean, ancient kingdoms, the grandest places where uh, uh, were not only uh, the king's palatial whatever, the grandest places were also the temples. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the things. If you that, went to an ancient civilization, right. you're not seeing the king's house, the, <laughs> a palace or his garden, sure. or the temple of the god they worship. That's right. 
one of those two, the palace or the temple, would always be the most fascinating, fantastic structure in the king, or both would be fantastic. And it seems like more than we see those palaces or those homes, even now from antiquity, it looks like what we see now are the pyramids and the ziggurats. And yeah. really what has stood the test of time are those temples like the, because... The Aztecs, the Mayans, right. the pyramids the, of Central and South America. Yeah. They're still standing. That's right. And uh, although they may not be this ancient of history, right. still the, the concept is there. It's the temples of the gods. That's right. Plural. That That's are right. still standing from those ancient civilizations. So you can see how much care they put into making those. Again, it goes back to they're important. Not only was the king's palace important, but the temples were important. And so were gardens. And we were, as we've yeah. done some research, we were actually seeing um, there was an ancient Babylonian king who made a garden. He didn't just use one you know, little instrument to dig up one little hole and plant I'd a tree. I'd love to tell you the whole backstory. Time <laughs> won't tell us. Right. He married a girl from the mountains. Babylon is in a plane. Yeah. She thought it was totally boring. <laughs> But he married her, another yeah. king's daughter, and brought her down to Babylon. Yeah. And he said, I'll build you a garden, a mountain, a garden, <laughs> yes. like the place, your homeland. Right. And he literally built the hanging gardens of Babylon, became one of the seven wonders yeah. of the world as a gift to his princess, right. if you would, in Babylon. It was fantastic. And it had a system of pumping water up to the mountaintop. Rivers shot out. It's just wow. too much to describe this morning. But, again, it goes in the history books as one of the seven wonders of the world. Gardens, palaces, and temple, uh, temples of gods. Those are the great things. Those are the great been. things of history, correct. That's right. And we know that God viewed the garden as a temple right. a couple of different ways. One, you were talking to me about, first, we've got to get our mindset right. Yeah. We've got to, to understand what Genesis is describing, you've got to get your head in line with, yeah, uh, ancient a, near near Eastern, however you want to say that, the ancient cultures who were writing these texts. Because the people reading. that are writing these texts are ancient Near East. Yes. And when they begin to describe mountains and rivers and steps and stairways yeah. and elevated places of worship. That's very specific language. Ding, 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 yes. ding, ding. You're yes. describing a temple. Right. And that should jump out at us. Absolutely. God is present. God's presence, stairways, elevation, gold, yes. silver, rivers, Lush God, ding, 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 this is a temple you're describing. Okay, so there's one indicator, uh -huh. but, but you can, you can see there's another indicator right. that what God is describing with Garden of Eden, what is being described, uh, is a temple, not only because God dwells there and not only because of how physically arranged, correct, correct, but you know it's a temple because of the biblical use mm -hmm. of one temple keyword over and over again. Yeah. And that is the word image. Mm -hmm. The word image in Genesis 1, 2, and, and 3, where the fall actually happens in 3, but this word keeps popping up in the narrative. It's a temple word. It's a flashing red light temple word. It's I like mean, the temple yeah. word. Uh, and our English language, uh, we have like the word image mm -hmm. or the word idol. Right. Uh, in Hebrew, they have a word Salem. T-S. Yeah. It's it, yeah. Salem. Uh, that word means can mean both. It's one more Hebrew word that can mean both image, uh, depiction of something, uh, or an idol. But yeah. you get the point. They didn't have photographs and things like we had, but right. we, to us, an image, you know, could be a lot of things. To them, it typically meant graven image. It meant 
something fashioned, chiseled form, maybe overlaid with gold, but an image, an idol. And uh, this Hebrew word, Salem, image, keeps popping up in the narrative over and over again. A Salem, an image, was uh, a form, uh, an image of a god, little g, that all of the ancient temples had. So if you went into any ancient temple, if you go to Israel with us, we'll take you down to Caesarea Philippi, to Banyas, and you'll see the little alcoves cut into the mountain. And in that alcove was the image of Pan, the Greek god. Uh, if you go to any ancient temple, you'll see the place where the image used to be. And uh, that image, these pagan cultures took that seriously. This is not a joke. When Paul and, and these biblical writers go into Europe, like in Ephesus, mm-hmm. and they start preaching against idols, listen, the populace will kill you yeah. when you mess with those idols. Because the image that they worshipped was considered like we would just kind of say, eh, it's just, yeah, it's a right. statue. Yeah, whatever. It wasn't to them. Right. To them, it was the physical presence of that God. Yeah. It was the embodiment of the power and the ability and the reign of that God. And so every ancient temple, when you walked in, there was the Salem. There was the idol. There was the yeah. image. Yeah. Okay, so that's the word that is being used. So instead of God setting a statue, mm-hmm. In his temple. Right. Instead of God setting a statue in Eden to symbolize his rule and his reign, he commissioned living, breathing humans to represent his image. Right. Now, this is a big shift. Yeah. Uh, We think of image as idol. God said, yeah, I'm going to put living, breathing, a man and a woman who are Angled mirrors of me. Physical embodiments, exactly what you just said. They reflect me. Yes, of God's presence. They, they, they right. speak of me. That's exactly right. And he put those living, breathing people in the temple yeah. and said, if you want to know about God, here's a reflection of God right here. Yeah. Let, let me read it from Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our Salem, image. in our image, yeah. and after our likeness, and let them have dominion. They're here to rule. With the fish of the sea and birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. It keeps popping up over and over. In the image of God <laughs> created he him. And just so we wouldn't be chauvinistic, yeah. he reminds us male and female created he them. That's right. They were both created in the image of God. Both. Both given authorization and authority and dominion. to go and be. This is correct. Right. What God's called. And He puts both of them in His temple. This yeah. man and woman, not to stand there like statues, living, <laughs> breathing yeah. embodiments. Yeah. Just same way the pagans saw the statue and said, "This is the embodiment of our God. It represents the power of our God. It represents the authority of our God." Adam and Eve are walking around doing and creating and organizing and, and all of this. And God says, there is my image. There's a living, breathing image of me in my temple. Yeah. This is correct. And, and that's, and again, going, we keep harping on this, but it's so important to get. 
Because if we can understand this, then we can start looking at the Bible correctly within this frame, this story of the reunification of heaven and earth. And so what God does is he, he gives the, the humans um, the ability to use their own creative ability, their own creative um, exercises from their minds. They can go and, again, we've said it, organize and work and create. And the human project, though, was never supposed to terminate in Eden. It wasn't supposed to finish or be done. It wasn't Just like the starting point. Exactly. Uh, it, it would be like, okay, I'll give you this. Well, it's like churches, many churches today. We go and, and cloister in the church as opposed to taking the presence of God out. Out to the world. Exactly. And, and I, the stuff that you were talking about with our disciples in, in Nepal, that's exactly the, the role, the vocation of a disciple, of someone who is a hotspot. I know I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but. Pushing that bag of rice <laughs> down the street. That's right. To a neighbor is the very embodiment of what Jesus would do right now. Using their creativity, yes. using their ability and their skill and their love to go and minister to people, to go and carry heaven forward, even if that person isn't necessarily in agreement point. with it. That's yet. correct. It's not the point at all. And that was the whole point of creation in Eden was that we wouldn't just stay cloistered in the temple and we wouldn't just stay in God's presence right here, but rather, because again, heaven and earth overlap, we're supposed to take that out of Eden. Eden was the starting point, right. and it was only sin yeah. and the rebellion of mankind that derailed the project before it got out of Eden. Right. That's exactly right. And if, so, if it had gone further, we would already have sure. other cities being started and civilizations popping up that were filled with That's human right. images. And, and under God's vocation and his presence. It and, just didn't get that far. Right. Because And because of sin, now we have this, this rift. And actually what happens is the the humans get banned from the temple. That's correct. Uh, and, and if you were to go, again, to the ancient Near East, uh, and you were to look at temples, uh, oh, okay, great example, the Sphinx. This is What's he doing? He's guarding. That's his whole goal. Is he's, What's he guarding? He's guarding, okay, the temples or uh, the, the pyramids, pyramids. yes, that are, that are, again, physical representations of that Egyptian pharaoh. Pharaoh, who's a human exactly. god in their eyes, exactly. is there entombed. And he's guarding the God. place. Yes. Okay. And the Sphinx is a perfect example of that. And that's exactly what we see happen at the end of Genesis chapter 3 is that the cherubim are set in place. They're banished. They're banished. Adam and Eve the from the garden. That's right. They cannot reenter. Nope. They have no access that's to right. God the way they had before. They don't have access to the temple. They have no access to the tree of yeah. life. They have no, they have no access. It's Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Yeah, it's really, really serious. And when you, you, you've rebelled and you're cast out of God's presence at that yeah. point. And whatever connection they did have. Yeah. And it's hard to explain because we don't have lots of details. Right. Something in them died. Yes, there they was were, a death that occurred. They were connected to maybe eternal life and then sure. it connection was broken yeah. and now they will die. Right. Their a physical death. Correct. Because of the spiritual death. And there is a spiritual death. Correct. Correct. And so we have to be born again and all yep. this New Testament teaching that we don't want to get to yet. Right. But something definitely was broken and heaven and earth were torn apart. That's right. They were banished. The cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every direction is guarding the gate to yep. Eden and you cannot reenter now. That's right. Human history has definitely taken a bad turn. And how, so, how will it ever get fixed? And so Genesis <laughs> yeah. begins to start to tell us. What, what's next? What, what's happening? Because because it doesn't just end there, right? The story moves on fastly, very quickly. The, the, whoever's writing Genesis is leapfrogging hundreds oh, yes. of years of yes. history as he moves. Well, and he's doing that on purpose because the design of Genesis is to get us to a specific story that God is trying to tell. Correct. 
And so it moves on, on uh, hundreds of years. And really, we're, we're aiming at a, a man and a family right. named Abraham. We know him as Abraham. In Correct. the beginning of his story, it's Abram. But yeah. before we get to him, we have kind of this interesting story that occurs in Genesis chapter 11. Ancient civilization. Mm-hmm. And all this abundance that's around them. Well, and also, their civilization. Uh, so we think of these ancient people as really dumb and silly. They built idols and they offer sacrifices to them. And they, are just, they weren't. They weren't dumb people. They're just like us. They're, They're discovering new technology right. constantly. Yes. They're advancing civilization constantly. Yep. These are not cavemen we're talking about. These are people who built ancient civilizations. And wrote the Bible that you're looking at now. I mean, yeah. sophisticated literary people. I mean, they're, they're not dumb people. No. And so now we have, in Genesis chapter 11, we have a city being built. Uh, and, and this city is kind of representative of what happens when when not just two people, not just the first. Now a whole civilization rebels against God. That's right. And so they, they quickly advanced, like you said, uh, some technology with the abundance of where they live. They're now building bricks and they're going to build a tower. And you guys know this in in the uh, Genesis narrative as the tower of Babel. Um, This is the city. What's the point of the tower? That's right. Why are they doing this? Yeah. It's not just an interesting kooky story where God just confuses languages and that's, you know, it's part of everybody. the narrative. It's part that's of the right. story. There's something happening here. We see in the, the civilization, the same arrogance of Adam and Eve. We want to be like God, but on our terms. And so if you're going to kick us out of the garden, fine. We will build up to the heavens. Again, it's a ziggurat, right? Is what they're building. We think tower. Uh, sure. I don't think Eiffel Tower, right. but it's a stepped, yes, uh, pyramid-like stepped somehow tower going up into the heavens, heavens. the skies, skies, God's domain right. in their in their mentality. Right. Earth is for us, heaven is for God. Right. But watch, we will get bigger than we'll, we'll go up we'll from the earth into the heaven. We right. will be God. <laughs> That's right, and we will define the terms. Yes, and we will rule this other civilizations. It's a, it's just 2.0 rebellion against God. Exactly. And God interjects himself in human history yet again. It's not about this. (laughs) And so we read and we don't have to tell the whole story, but God comes down and judges them. That's right. And uh, because that's. And there's another banishment you'll notice again. There's a specific way that the story is being told to link our minds back to Genesis chapter three. There's a, a banishment that occurs. How does he banish them? Well, that's why we, that's why we have the word Babel. It's kind of a play on words here. Um, where God confuses their languages, uh, and then because they can't communicate anymore and they can't talk anymore, they kind of look at break each other into suspiciously sm- and they smaller start, communities. Exactly, and they start breaking off. Does anyone habla español? <laughs> right. And then those people get together, yeah. and some sprachen sie Deutsch, and they get together, and, so, and, yeah, and some parlez vous français, and yeah. they get together, and so then you have society breaking into smaller pieces. Right. And it was, and it was one of the ways in which God said. I'm not about this rebellion. You are not God. That's right. You were right. created to be a reflection of God. On my terms, on God's terms. And, not when, on your and terms. when you say, I'm going to be God, yeah. you, you are completely in, yes. you've reversed the roles. This That's is right. what Satan, it's actually his motivation. Yeah. It's what he, he wanted to be God. Yeah. And he's inspired, I think, this inhumanity, <laughs> right. you know? Right. All right. So you get the story. So the, the spotlight now moves yeah. forward. 
off of that civilization to a specific person. Person. That's right. Who is this person? This is Abram. Uh, again, we, we know him as Abraham. His name changes. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But when we first find him in the story, uh, God, God calls him to leave his homeland, to leave his familial connections, to leave what his, you know, kind of his security, his nest egg, whatever you want to call it. Um, cause certainly by now he's an, an older man. He's, he's developed and built and, and whatever. His whole know? life had been, in, right. he's had homes and lands and money. Yeah. And, and God says, walk away from all of it. Right. And so Abram dem- demonstrates, I mean, just incredible faith. He's, he's commended for that faith. And becomes in the Bible the father of right. those who believe by faith. That's yes. right. And he begins to follow God. He goes to where God calls him to. And this really is the beginning of God's, I want to say this particular way, long-term strategic response to set things right. Okay. That's God's plan in Abram is to start a long-term strategic response to sin and set things right to deal with that problem that we've talked about in Genesis chapter three okay. to once again reunite heaven and earth. So whatever story's coming in in the Old Testament, the rest of Genesis into the Old Testament, it has to do with this man and his, yes, family. his family. That's right. Because God's going to use Abraham as a hotspot, a point of yes. connection. Yes. God's going to work through this man and his family. And again, the way that it's written. Um, I think it's Genesis chapter 12 and then again 17. There's a couple different covenant moments or promise moments where God is speaking to Abraham, Abram and then Abraham okay. about what he's going to do through him. And he's really, the, the, the way it's written reflects Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that you're supposed to fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. You're supposed to. I will give the earth to you. That's right. You're in charge. And you here, represent me. That's right. And yes. here we see this in Abram's call. Wherever your feet walk. You're going to be a blessing. The land is yours. That's right. You will bless the land. And You'll all be, nations ultimately are going to be blessed. Through your family. Through you. Uh, okay. And so, it, it, again, it's designed specifically for us to focus in on hey, this guy. This is a retelling of something we've already heard. Yes. Yeah. And, and the point is that God that, that God is is trying to reboot the human project, not 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 wipe it all out and start over again like he did with Noah. That's not that's not his his goal right now. His goal is instead to do a long-term strategic response to sin through Abram and his family. And what he's trying to to do here and what we see in God's characteristics is something really actually wonderful is that he's not just going to snap his fingers and make us robots or he's not just going to snap his fingers and wipe us all out and keep starting over again every time you and I sin. Instead, he's going to partner with you and I. Correct. He wants to partner with people. We see it in Genesis chapter one and two. We see it in Abram. Wants a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. He wants a a a, a committed relationship yeah. with people. Yeah. You know, it's almost like God saying, "Here's my hand. Will someone just take my hand? Yeah. I want to work with with you." Yeah. And Abraham reaches out and takes God's hand, and God says, "Okay." Uh, and so that's going to take us on a wild journey now through the Old Testament, yeah. through this family of Abraham. Abram, sorry, at this point. And so uh, God makes this uh, solemn promise. Mm -hmm. Uh, We use the word covenant, and that's really a covenant involves some technicalities. You know, it's sealed usually in the shedding of blood and some other things, sacrifice, whatever. And theirs was. But God makes this solemn promise to to Abram. Um, I mean, this is like a troll pinky promise. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like a serious thing, right. you know what I'm saying? When God says, I make a covenant, it's like the most solemn promise God makes. He made a covenant with this man, Abram, and said, now I'm going to change your name. 
and he adds an H in the middle, yeah. which is the first letter of the word multitude in Hebrew. Yeah. And it's kind of a ha-ha moment. It's a word play, and it's an inside joke, yeah. and it's God and Abraham having a, a friendly chuckle together. God says, I'm going to call your name from now on Abraham, yeah. uh, which means a father of a multitude. Right. With- and the ha-ha is... <laughs> no kids. He has no kids. No kids. And he's an old man. <laughs> That's right. and, uh, yeah. and when God and he are having this ha-ha moment... These are even things that Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were saying to God. Listen, we're we're way past childbearing years. I'm old. She's old. No way. We haven't had kids. At 100, do you think I'm going to suddenly start having kids? And so he, God's laughing. They're laughing. And their first son's name actually means laughter. So because of this, so there's a lot of wordplay going on in the in the Hebrew language. And the thing, one of the bigger takeaways is Abraham and his family were not chosen because they are like this super spiritual, godly, awesome people, right. wonderful role models for everyone to follow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, many Bible stories. Especially in the book of Genesis, when you look at the life of Esau and Jacob, and, and I, yeah, they're they, wild. Listen, Abraham's family. When the stories are actually told, we see a, a, a poor decision making, yeah. even on Abraham's part. Oh yeah, poor decision making. We see a completely dysfunctional family. Really, it's incredibly. Listen, if you're watching and you're like, my family's crazy, Pastor. We don't relate to anything godly. Well, neither did Abraham's family, really. They're completely dysfunctional. Uh, There's hardly any good parents to be found over here in this section of Scripture. There's hardly any wonderful marriages found over here, uh, at least by what we would consider a a normal and healthy marriage. It's a lot of dysfunction. And that reality really is making a profound statement to us. Uh, Whatever the reunion of heaven and earth Mm -hmm. look like, However, this is going to happen. The message is it isn't going to happen through human achievement. Right. It's not going to happen through human goodness. It's not going to happen because, oh, look, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these are just like the most wonderful people ever. <laughs> yeah. Listen, they did. Yeah. Jacob's a complete con man. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't trust him with your wife, your checkbook, your bird dog, your <laughs> pickup truck. You wouldn't trust this man with anything. <laughs> Uh, Esau just soon kill you as look at you. I mean, these, he's a kind of a wild, burly man. And uh, I don't know, just it really messes with your mind when you read this because you're like, God's working through this family, but they, they seem to be dysfunctional. And yeah, you're reading this correctly. Humans can't go back and get eternal life from the Garden of Eden. Right. That's over with. That's blocked. Humans can't build up in their own power and get to heaven and get eternal life. That's blocked. Humans are not going to bring eternal life into reality by human goodness. We don't have it. We're sinners, and we come come short of that. And yet God says, I want to partner with you, Abraham. You're going to become the father of all those who believe by faith. And by faith, he stepped out and followed God. Same thing God asks us to do today. By faith, step out and trust me. And he becomes the father, and I'm going to use some synonyms here, of the Hebrew race. Uh, we also call it the Jews. Mm-hmm. We also call it the children of Israel. Yeah, the Israelites, yeah. Who are literally the sons of Jacob, yeah. Abraham's grandson. So Jacob's name is actually changed to Israel by mm-hmm. God. I'm going to talk about that a little more in a minute. So for those of you who are not long-term, haven't been long-time Christians, I hope you're a long-term Christian, but haven't been long-time <laughs> Christians. Uh, if you're, if you're maybe newly come to Christ and haven't read all these stories yet, 
when you see those terms, 12 tribes, children of Israel, Jews, Hebrews, it's all talking about the same thing. It's Abraham and his descendants. And Abraham's unlikely family becomes actually a hot spot for connecting with God on planet Earth. What God is about to do, he's going to use these children of Israel, children, Mm -hmm. Hebrews, Jews, He's going to be working in their presence and through individuals in this family. So, so the story continues to move. You just mentioned his grandson, Jacob. Um, there's this really interesting story that occurs that, again, kind of gives us a glimpse into what God is trying to accomplish. This is Abraham's grandson. Yes, uh, Jacob. That's right. right. I would get all the names kind of mixed Jacob, up. Jacob, Abraham's grandson. Here. Yeah, Jacob. Abraham, Abraham's grandson is, is going on a journey, yep. and uh, he, he encounters another heavenly hotspot. So we're calling them the family hotspot, which is correct. But we see something really interesting occur in Genesis chapter 28, um, verses 12 through 15. Uh, Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway set up on the earth with its top reaching up to heaven. He saw the angels of God going up and coming down on it. The Lord was standing above it saying, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give the land on which you are lying to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust on the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. Through you and through your descendant, every family on earth will be blessed. Remember, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will also bring you back to this land because I will not leave you until I do what I've promised you. Now, this is a really popular story. I remember in Sunday school, you're talking about being a longtime Christian. I I grew up in the church. uh, And and I remember in Sunday school seeing the, the pictures um, that Miss Gail would bring out, she'd pop in front of us, mm-hmm. and and there was always this, you know, this really celestial, like the clouds have opened up, and there's this glittering white, glowing yeah, light, lights coming down, and there's angels coming down, you know, they've got the wings, and yeah. they all look, you yeah. know, like Raphael. So we call or, the, what do we call the story <laughs> back in those days? Jacob's ladder. That's that's the name that we've heard over and over yeah. again. That's really not, not a ladder. Not really, not like you would think, like rungs. Not rungs and you climb and, up. No. Right. It's it's more again what we've talked about, like with the ziggurats or the pyramids, it's more of a step. It's more of a stairway. Grand celestial staircase. Right. Which again is supposed to point our minds back to the reality. Heaven is a, t- a temple. Yes. It's it, heaven and earth are connecting That's in, the, right. in this temple moment. That's right. That Jacob is having. That's right. And so he sees this incredible vision. Um, it, but if we just remove the story out of the like the overarching narrative of scripture that that heaven and earth are supposed to be reunited one day, it has no meaning. It's just a cool story, and it makes for great pictures. Like that, that really... Jacob is this godly guy, <laughs> right. and and he and God connected in a special way. Yeah. And that's really not the story that's no. being told. No, uh, God's because... reminding him, I have promised. That's right. I will keep my promise that I made to your granddaddy. Yes. That I'm going to be with you, yep. and I will keep my. I'm going to reunite heaven and earth, and your family is going to be a part of that plan. And, and guess what? Even though it looks, or even though you don't see it right now, I'm doing something, and I'm letting you have a picture of it. Now I'm, le- I'm opening your eyes to see the fact that heaven and earth do still overlap in interesting ways, in different ways than you had understood necessarily. We're not Garden of Eden overlapping. Yeah. But there are, uh, you, you've used this word, portal. There are portals that we can see. Which I think is a great way to explain. Yeah, I like that. A lot of people are saying, you know, where, where I've totally mistaught yeah. this for years and years. Like, heaven is this way, way, way right. away yeah. thing. 
listen, heaven is very near to us, mm-hmm. but it's in another dimension. Right. So Jacob is out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's nothing special about where he decided to camp that night. No, he's he using a rock for a pillow. pillow There's nothing special. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's like he's on Survivor or something, and he pulls up a blanket, lays down on a rock. <laughs> What's amazing is that God pursues us, yeah. and God keeps his promises. And to an unsuspecting man who wasn't living a particularly godly life, right. but God had made a promise to a family, and God keeps his promises. And so God opens a portal, and he sees this vision of, listen, heaven has opened right here, and just a grand staircase from my world into the next world is right in front of me. Well, here's what Jacob says. I've got the rest of the passage. Uh, Again, you thought, well, we left the presence of God in the garden. No, God's breaking into your reality. Here's what Jacob says. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and he exclaimed, certainly the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. Filled with awe, he said, how awe-inspiring this place is. Certainly, this is the house of God, temple. Temple. And this is the gateway portal to heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had put under his head and he set it up as a marker. And he poured oil, olive oil, on top of it, and he named the place, in English we said Bethel. The real pronoun, Bethel. Beth house, El God. He said, I'm going to name this spot the house of God. Now listen, if you came upon that marker, and maybe Jacob wrote Bethel, (laughs) planted in the ground. Imagine you're a journeyer next week, and you journey up to that place, (laughs) and you're like, house of God. Right. Yeah, and there's a stone on the ground. There's a scorpion and a <laughs> rattlesnake and a rock. And you're like, wow, not much of a temple. Yeah. Not much of, yeah, I don't feel God's presence in this place. No. And it's not about the dirt that's special. It's about that God was connecting with a man and his family he had made a solemn promise to. And God is pursuing us. Now I want to enlarge it. Not just Abraham. He's going to work through Abraham's family, but God's pursuing us. Yeah. Humanity relentlessly and he's not going to stop this human project that he started he got messed up but he's going to fix it and he's relentlessly pursuing us and he is i mean if we have our i guess metaphorically you could say if we have our eyes open god is working all around us if our eyes are open to it and what abraham's family begins to realize his descendants Mm -hmm. is god's unpredictable he is not a genie yeah. in a bottle you're going to summon with, with a, with a right. rub of the lamp. God will do things you don't expect him to do. He'll show up in unexpected places. And although you, you can pray, many of them saw visions and had dreams mm-hmm. is the way they connected with God in these days, especially Joseph, late yeah. in the book of Genesis. Uh, they still couldn't experience Eden. Right. Face to face. Face to face fellowship yeah. with God. Heaven on earth, it's still turbulent. Mm-hmm. It's dog eat dog. It's warfare. Yeah. It's it's everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. It's definitely not heaven on earth. Yeah. We we haven't come back to that. But as the story goes, let me fast forward for sake of time. Abraham's family multiplies and multiplies and multiplies, and through again unlikely God designed moments, Abraham's great grandson mm-hmm. Joseph. 
is hated by his brothers. Uh, they say, let's kill him. Yeah. And then one brother says, don't kill him, let's sell him. Right. Let's make a buck off this. <laughs> I mean, rather than hiring a hitman to kill him, yeah. let's get somebody to pay us for him. This is a genius idea in an right. evil, sinister, yeah. uh, mad way. And so they sell their brother to a caravan of slaves, traders going to Egypt. Yeah. And through a turn of events, to the long story I can't tell, but again, if you don't know the bigger picture, the story doesn't make sense. Right. Joseph becomes the prime minister of the nation of Egypt, an empire. Early, it was one of the early great civilizations. And the prime minister is the great-grandson of Abraham, yeah. the one God promised that he would work through his men, right. be a hot and spot, bless. and bless That's all right. him and all the nations of the yeah. earth. So here's Joseph now as the prime minister of Egypt. And what we're setting up now, is an Egypt bondage freedom scenario. Right. And the story that's going to come out of this is the tabernacle, that's right. which becomes a mobile hotspot device. Yeah. It's a roaming yeah. wireless device. It is, it is a godly, <laughs> well, we'll get to it, yeah. that they're going to build where God's presence is moving around with this structure called yeah. the, the tabernacle. So here's what I have. Joseph, Prime, uh, Prime Minister of Egypt, hmm. brings prosperity and saves the world through famine, becomes right. a hero of everybody. And so Pharaoh says, Joseph, give your people, hmm. Abraham's children, yeah. the Jews, give them the best grazing land we've got. Yeah. And so the Jews settle in, they all come down to mm-hmm. Egypt in the uh, delta of the Nile. Yeah. And they build, they multiply to become what many people, ancient historians think millions of people, by the time they're delivered out of Egypt, but they become their own metroplex. Yeah, they okay. build their own yeah. civilization in Egypt. The Jews do. Joseph dies then. And the Bible says there arises a Pharaoh which knew not Joseph or his God. So this evil Pharaoh comes to power next. Yeah. And he says, I don't like these Jews yeah. because God is prospering and blessing Right. And they, they might overcome us at some point. They might overtake Egypt. Yeah. We don't like them. Right. So by military might, mm-hmm. he conquers that Jewish group yeah. of people, enslaves them, yeah. and forces them to build those great civilizations, the great the Egyptian structures. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they built the pyramids or the Sphinx or the temples or, or whatever. They to it or whatever. But yeah. they're the slaves that are building the great yeah. Egyptian empire. And so Twist of fate again, yeah. a little Jewish baby, a son of Abraham, if you yeah. would, is put on the river and a childless barren daughter of Pharaoh right. retrieves the basket and there is baby Moses. And the repeated statement about Moses over and over in history books and in the Bible is he was a hunky little baby. <laughs> he was an attractive, <laughs> handsome little baby. Yeah. And as a grown man, the women swooned over him. Yeah. Even his enemies, the history books say. The princess of Ethiopia looked out the window while Moses was conquering her city and fell in love at first sight. <laughs> and uh, so the little baby comes to shore in the basket and Pharaoh's daughter picks the baby up and says, I'll name you Moses for you were drawn from water. Lo and behold, in a twist of events, Moses becomes part of the royal family and is set to be Pharaoh of Egypt until he realizes he's a Hebrew a son of Abraham, and he defends the slaves. 
He kills an Egyptian. He's banished from Egypt to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, a hot spot opens. A portal once again. In a place called Mount Sinai, at a very strange thing called a burning bush, God gets Moses' attention. And Moses says, what in the world is that? I'm watching this bush burn, but it is not consumed. I'll turn aside and see the sight that is captivated. It's a hot spot. And he goes up to the burning bush, and God opens that portal again. And in an audible voice from the bush, God says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Moses bows before God and receives a commission. You will be the deliverer of my people. You go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, we all know the story, I'm going to assume. Pharaoh does not let the people go. He says, who is your God? I don't know your God. Uh, Tell your God to drop dead. And so what God does is through the agent of Moses, God sends 10 catastrophic plagues, which are directly designed to dismantle the nation of Egypt, the superpower of the world. It destroys their civilization. I mean, the economy is wrecked. The water is ruined. The crops are ruined. The cattle all die. The the people, disease breaks out among the people. The firstborn of every creature and human being dies ultimately. God breaks the will of Egypt as a nation. And finally, Pharaoh says, go. And don't let the door hit you. And take whatever you want on your way out. Just go. And the Bible says they took the treasure of Egypt. They spoiled the Egyptians. In case you wonder, where do slaves get gold to build the tabernacle? They took it from Egypt. Yeah. And so they go to Mount Sinai at God's command. Mm -hmm. And he said, the first thing I want you to do is when you deliver the people, bring them to Sinai and tell them to come and worship me there. So Moses, of course, you know, the Red Sea crossing and all of this. He gets them to Sinai and God comes down on the mountain. Yeah, in a big way. And a portal opens in a big way. Yeah. And God begins to speak audibly where the nation of Israel can hear it. And all the only way I know to scared the bejeebers. Yeah. Yeah. And now, Mo- Moses had already talked to God a few right. times in this way. But when God started talking to the people, the ground handle. shook and the sky turned to fire. Yeah. The people said, they went and hid. Yeah. And they said, that's God scaring the bejeebers out of yeah. us. Moses, you go talk yeah. to God. We're too scared to talk to him. Yeah. And so he receives the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. and he receives really uh, some instructions yes. to go and build a portable hotspot called the Tabernacle. Yeah, and at that spot we see God formalizing that, that covenant via this ritual law, this moral law. Levitical law, yes. law of Moses, whatever you call it. There's a code now yes. put in place. You're going to be my people. Right. Follow some of the rules. Again, here are the terms of the relationship, just like we saw in Correct. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Don't eat of those trees. That There's just terms to a relationship. You guys know that to be true, and we're seeing that picture here And as well. part of the instructions were, yeah. I want you to build a portable temple. Yes. To be representative and and literally my presence amongst you guys. And God's presence came down right. into that tent. I mean, pillar of fire. Yeah. Glory of God came down yeah. and inhabited that place. And you said it was a it was a reflection of Eden. Yeah. I mean. So it, if you look at it on the outside, it just would have looked like a tent. Just badger normal. skin and whatever. Yeah, whatever. whatever okay. it was. Uh, and, but on the inside, it would have been, I mean, 
just resplendent. There was gold. There were there were uh, fine craftsmanship all over the place. Whether it was wood, well, the wood was then overlaid with gold or silver or whatever. There's earth stones and diamonds stones. and those kind of things. There's um, tapestries. That's right. And on the actual like tent walls, there were there were garden imagery. Not not okay. We didn't say Eden necessarily, but that's what your mind is supposed to be drawn back Correct. to. Is that this is another Eden moment. Man and God are connecting yes. once again. That's right. Here are the cherubim again That's showing right. up. That's right. And they actually, again, they kind of guard. They guard God's presence That's on the, the mercy throne of seat God. Correct. of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, many people think that the candlestick, the multi-branch candlestick. Yeah, the menorah. Right? The menorah is yeah. a picture of the tree of life. That's right. Because when you see how the menorah was built, he said, build it with knops and bowls and buds and flowers. Yeah. They're branches of a tree. Right. Is what they are. Right. It's not just a candlestick. It's pointing to something. It's imagery. That's right. We're going. This is a portable temple. Yes. And just I will, like and I, like Eden. <laughs> yeah. And I will come down and I will meet with man That's here. Right. That's right. But there are some rules. Yeah. Because and because God's presence is scary. It's dangerous. It's it, dangerous. Just like we saw in, in Sinai. Now, some guys went in there and didn't do it right. They just dropped dead immediately. It's recorded was in that the Eli's sons. I think. Correct. That's right. It's very. His presence is awesome. Yes. And a little day, well, a lot dangerous. If, if you're not buffed up on the process or following the rules. Exactly. Being like him on his terms. On his terms. That's, That's right. correct. And so, so what this, what we see pictured in the tabernacle is yes, now we have access, but it's severely limited. There's, there's a process. I have right. to make sacrifice. I have to get some so of my one, value. One group of people could go into the courtyard, right. but only one person could actually go into that tent. Yes. And have that face. One time a year. One man, one time a year. That's right. And even that man, they tied a cord <laughs> around right. his foot. Just rope, in case. <laughs> and they put bells on the bottom of his garment. Yeah. And if the jingling ever stopped, they pulled the cord because they knew he was dead. Yeah, he was unworthy to enter God's presence. It, it's, it's dangerous. And people think going to church is scary. <laughs> it's nothing like this. I mean, this was a, just, but this is the way God yeah. chose to work in this time. Through this family of Abraham. Well, let me fast forward a little bit because the tabernacle was always meant to be a temporary mm-hmm. temple, yeah. Yeah. portable. It moved with them through the wilderness That's right. and into the promised land. And then they kind of looked at it like a rabbit's foot. Right. And I don't have time to tell that story. They thought it was like a good luck charm <laughs> yeah. at that point. Rub the bottle. Genie will appear. Sure. God will save us from the Philistines. Right. We can battle well now. Oh, and and it, that takes you all the way into the time of David. Really, 400 years that tabernacle served them as a mobile hotspot, a portal to link heaven and earth, if you would, a mobile temple. And David wanted to build a permanent temple Mm -hmm. in Jerusalem. And it takes us really to the temple, which becomes the Jerusalem hotspot now. And it's a more permanent thing. Yes, it's a, which which links again to David. We have a specific promise to David's family uh, who rules Jerusalem. And so now we've got a permanent thing that we're going to do through David. We're, right. we're making specific promises. God's to making solemn promises to David. That's right. Your son will be the king who yes. will make all things right. And so through you, I'm going to, and actually David doesn't get to build it, but through you and your family, I'm right. going to build this permanent right. thing that I'm doing in you and through you. That's correct. For Jerusalem and for the world. So David didn't build it because the Bible said he had too much blood on his hands. Right. He's really a fighter. Yeah. But God allowed Solomon, his son, to build it. Incredibly wise. And, and again, let's go back to this. You know what Solomon 
Solomon built first his own palace. <laughs> yeah. Grandest thing in all of Jerusalem. Yeah. And then he went and built the temple of God, two most right. grand buildings in the city again. Right. Well, he even talks about it in Ecclesiastes. He, he built gardens. And when he says gardens, he doesn't talk about... It's not like some carrots. Petunias and carrots. Yeah, he's talking about forests. I put forests and I hewn cisterns out of the earth so that we could have enough water to provide for the forest. That I planned. Thousands of yeah. acres, aqueducts. Yes. They built rivers. They diverted rivers. We're talking about engineering. Yeah. We're talking about massive Marvels. breeding stables to yeah. breed horses. Yeah. We're talking about, again, we're back to Eden, though, in some of our thinking. We're drawing again, some of the language back. God's yeah. saying, this is the grand thing I wanted you to do. Yeah. Build, build fantastic. Absolutely. Build roads, build bridges, divert river, do it all. Yeah. But on my terms, right. through a relationship with me as the angled mirror, as living images of God, yeah. this can be heaven on earth. But man is not content with that. <laughs> so now we're in this story. Yeah. So now they're going to build a temple. Yeah. Permanent. Permanent. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, now what's, but we keep talking about God's presence and he, he resides in this place and he's amongst the Israelites, but, but it's not as though the temple confines God's presence. And it's not as though the Israelites viewed that as a thing. Like the yeah. temple is the only place. Yeah, he's locked in there and he can't lives. get out. Right. Like you said, the genie and the lamp kind of idea. Yeah. That's that's not how they viewed it. In fact, when Solomon constitutes the temple, when they have this big seven day, which again is another Eden thing, okay. why we think it's a temple, a, a seven day ceremony to constitute the temple, um, God's presence comes down and Solomon's like, wow, God's presence is not not even above, not even in the heavens. It's a it's the, in the heavens of the heavens. Yeah, he, he's saying it's it can't just be in this spot. It's it, all over. The yeah, place. he's not saying God's way out there somewhere. No. He's just saying he's higher he's and grander. Yeah, it's right. bigger than anything we could imagine. Yeah, and again, if you would, heaven touches earth right there in that t- God's presence. Yeah. And when you read about it, God's presence came down into the temple in wind. And, and fire, fire. <laughs> yeah. and that'll be important for next week yeah. when we get to the New Testament. And often when God's presence shows up, there's wind and fire. We see it with uh, Elijah. We see it back in uh, yeah. Ab- Ab- I'm sorry, Moses moving through the desert. We see it yeah. here in the temple. And, and really what the temple stands for now is, is a, uh, again, a permanent idea that I'm residing amongst you guys. And, and that My really carries here. through the Old Testament yes. into the New Testament. Yes. Um, until 70 AD, yeah. which in the lifetime of the disciples yeah. is when the temple got destroyed by the Romans. But for all of the rest of the Old Testament now into the New Testament, the temple stands for, well, this is where God meets right. with us. It this is here, where heaven and earth connect. Right here in Jerusalem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now Solomon's temple was destroyed, mm-hmm. um, but then they Herod rebuilt it yeah. um, uh, before Christ. And that temple wasn't nearly Solomon. Solomon's temple was like gold. Right. The whole thing. The other one's like brass or something. You'd say it, yeah. it was a, it was maybe a, it was a way scaled down yeah. model of what Solomon's grand temple was. Uh, that gold was peeled off the walls by the invading Babylonians right. and other people and, and, you know, uh, who knows where it is in the world today. So, so that temple, uh, that's standing through the rest of the Old Testament, the last part of the Old Testament. Now we're almost, we've almost taken you all the way through the Old Testament. The last part of, of the Old Testament is really about a group of people called prophets. Yeah, there's 17 of them. They call them major and minor, but it's not because one and 
one is better. Or it's just the books are longer and sure. shorter. That's sure. all that means. They're all important prophets. Uh, there are men and women prophets. Mm-hmm. Hold of the prophetess is very prominent over yeah. there in some of the stories. But these prophets are speaking for God. Yeah. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and they would speak. And they would say, we want to tell you what God's doing. Now, now, when I think of prophets, I think of angry guys who yell a lot and have, you know. And you think of that because whatever. part of it's true. Part of their message was to denounce right. uh, the injustices in the land, to say things that are happening in our country are not right. Mm-hmm. They're not fair. Yeah. Things that other nations are doing are not right and not fair. Yeah. Which, again, this kind of is a lot of Christians in the modern era we're living in have picked up on this, mm-hmm. that Christians should be speaking out about injustice. Yeah. Inequality. It's there in the Bible. We should be speaking out against slavery. Yeah. We should be speaking out when we see injustice and trying to make it right if yeah. we can. Not just yelling about it. Not just yelling <laughs> about it. And the prophets did do yeah. that. Yeah. They spoke against injustice. They spoke against unrighteousness. They spoke against uh, uh, wickedness. And, and, and they be- spoke against the misuse of the temple even. But but anyway, let you, I'll let you. <laughs> no, but it's, it's all. But because yeah. they did have some negativity to their message, yeah. which was like this. Here's what's wrong, and if we don't get it right, God's going to judge us. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's never a message that's received with open arms. Right. And Israel didn't listen to their message, by and large. Yeah. And they were judged of the other nations because of that. Mm-hmm. That is really the story of the old. And then they would get judged, and they would repent and turn back to God, and things would be great. And then they would do their own thing and turn to idol and get joy. It's like a roller coaster up and down. So is that the only thing they're saying, though? No. So this is what I want to say. The prophets weren't just negative. Right. As a matter of fact, maybe if you want to reread some of the prophets and and look for the optimism, look for the hope, Mm -hmm. because the prophets did continually, all of them did continually say, there is an answer. There is a solution. There is a hope. Mm -hmm. God will send his king. The son of David will come. God will send the anointed one, Christ in the Greek, Messiah in the Hebrew. God will send his Messiah and he will rule and he will set all things right. And this is really important because, again, if we just take a prophetic book out of the Old Testament, start reading it without any context to the overarching story once again, we'll miss what they're trying to talk about. The big story. That's correct. The big story is God wants to reunify heaven and earth. So when you read the prophets, here's something you will clearly figure out. The Jews have no Platonic right, right. influence. Immaterial no, soul that goes off to be. That they're going to leave their body yeah, and fly yeah. away to heaven where everything is right. right. right, right. They constantly are speaking about heaven will come down here and make everything yeah. right. They're not saying we're leaving the land. They're saying God's going to bring us into the land. Yeah. They're not saying, you know, we're, we're going to heaven. They're saying God is coming here and he's going to fix all of this. Yeah. He will send a savior. He will send a Messiah. He will send a king. They're definitely expecting something to come to us. They're not expecting to go away right. to live somewhere else for, for all of eternity. Right. So at the end of the Old Testament, I'll come back to the prophets and just say, but at the end of the Old Testament, what for us is one leaf in our Bible with one yeah, page, yeah. we turn the Old Testament and there starts the new. Yeah. 
But what are we really looking at in that one page? Yeah, it's not it's not just four seconds. It's 400 400 years, years yeah. are represented by that last page turn right. from Malachi to Matthew. Right. When you get ready to flip from the old to the new, there's 400 years yeah. of a gap in human history sitting right there. And that that gap is, uh, what do we call it, intertestamental, period, yes. intertestamental, yeah. intertestamental, hard word. <laughs> period, <laughs> between the Testaments. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and really, John the Baptist is really kind of that last old, old school prophet. Right. He opens up the new and then wraps it right up, and we get to something else very quickly. But the he's prophets, the only voice, prophetic voice now, since the prophet's. For 400 years. 400 years, there's no prophet. Right. There's no preacher. There's no, there's no thus saith the Lord. Yeah. There, it's, it's, it's like, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then God says, let's everybody be quiet for a few minutes. You see some of those dramatic pauses in the book of Revelation. Yeah. In that apocalyptic writing. Let's just let it get quiet. Yeah. And what God's doing is it's like, I'm about to, I'm going to bring down the curtain on the Old Testament. Everybody in the room get quiet now. And you can sense it's this dramatic something big. God's about to do his, we call magnum opus. He's about to do the the biggest thing he's ever done. (laughs) The greatest event in human history is about to take place. Mm -hmm. Let everyone be silent for a moment. Just anticipate what God is about to do. It's a signal. Yeah. Something's about to happen. The stage is now set. Right. The king is about to arrive. Spoiler alert, everyone's going to miss it. Everyone's going to miss it. Yeah. And God's like, get ready. It's about, and everybody's going to miss it. Yeah. But really, that's next week's story. So let's close with the prophets. Yeah. Uh, these, these men and women were proclaiming this message of hope. God is good. God has not forsaken you. And even in the things that they were experiencing, like exile, being taken from their homeland to be slaves somewhere else, like in Babylon or Assyria. God went with them to Babylon. That's right. He didn't forsake them. And in fact, gives them another kind of Eden directive. Go plant vineyards, build houses, take wives. You're going to be here for a while. Build a family. This is where I've got you for now. Make the best of it. Yeah. Live out your... Listen... The, ladies and gentlemen, this is where God has us right now. Yeah. Quarantined in our homes. Well, great. Then let's just have a few months of love in our family. Yeah. God's not far. God's not far. He's still here. He hasn't forsaken us. That's right. He hasn't abandoned us. His promises are true, and we know that. Now, we, we have the benefit looking like back on the Old Testament via the New Testament's you know, goggles of Jesus, or however you want to say that, the lenses yeah. of Jesus. But like, just imagine for a minute that you weren't, like you're one of these Israelites that's waiting and you haven't heard from a prophet in a long time, but you do have the writings of the prophets that are read all the time in your yeah. in your synagogue. You you know that there's a promise coming. You've seen in the stories time and time again that God is faithful. You know there's a reason why you live back in the land that you live, because he was faithful to Ezra and Nehemiah and brought them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Even though it wasn't resplendent like Solomon's was, it's still there, and God's presence is still among us. And there is a promise of future hope that God is going to do yeah. something. We and shouldn't lose hope. We shouldn't look exactly because he ha- you just said it because he hasn't forsaken us. And their hope might have been he promised to bring us into the land and give us the land, you know, right. and this and we're scattered. For us, it looks a little different. 
we, we are hoping that injustices will be fixed. Right. We're hoping that viruses will disappear yeah. and be no more. Yeah. We're hoping for bodies that don't decay and die. We're hoping for, for a world that honors God. Yeah. We're longing for a world where doors can be left unlocked. Right. We're longing for a world where you don't get old and die. Yeah. We're longing for a world where people live in peace with each other. And even the prophets envision this place. I'm going to read a verse from Isaiah that David and I have been talking about. Just so you know that the the Jews weren't thinking about, I'm flying away somewhere. (laughs) Here's what the prophet Isaiah wrote. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered. It's going to be so good. You're not even going to remember the other stuff. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I mean, there's some of that uplifting hope that a prophet gave. Don't, it's going to, we're going to laugh. The future is going to be joyful for us. I have planned a future for you, God told Jeremiah. Tell the people I have a good future planned for them. And really, it's our message. Yeah, life took a turn for us right now that we didn't expect. Okay, let's let's look for the silver lining in it. What does God have for us right now? Listen, the church is still strong. Mm. Your families are probably stronger than they've ever been. Sure. Uh, we've had more fellowship and time to enjoy our our family than we can ever remember in our lives. Yeah. We're here, we're enjoying each other's company. Yeah. We're driving each other crazy sometimes, but we're enjoying each other's company. Sure. And and we're laughing and we're playing games. Yeah. And even in the midst of something difficult, you know, life's good. Yeah. God's with us. He hasn't forgotten us. And the picture of the temple again, and what we see with the prophets is that God's presence is among you. And even though it's hard to see sometimes, he's still there. And, and, and he's he, still working. He doesn't just work through. You know, when, you, when somebody says, oh, God's working in my life, we look at those people and say, well, they're special. They're right, extraordinary. You must be extraordinary. God doesn't do that for me. He only does it for this exclusive group of people. Yeah. Listen, if we took a poll uh, of all the people we know who are followers of Christ, we would discover that many Christians would say that their daily lives are hardly reflections mm-hmm. of what God is trying to do in the world. Right. Yet God doesn't forsake us. Right. He doesn't abandon us. He still is like got that open hand saying, I want to work with you. I want to live in you. I want you to be a part of, of what I'm doing. Let's go back to where we started, for example. As, as we wrap this up, let's go back to where we started. You're not just the recipients of God's love. Right. You're to be an instrument That's really of how God's going to show love to your neighborhood, your family, and this world. Yeah. You're not just an object of what God is trying to do. Reunite heaven and earth, save yeah. people, however you want to say that. You're really part of the solution. Mm. You're, you're, you're a minister. You're part of the means by which God, listen, if the church cloisters itself in the church and doesn't understand the big picture of the Bible, then we really miss our entire vocation that God has us here for. Yeah. We're to be, well, it's next week's message. (laughs) Wow. I need to pause. Yeah. We need to sit. We need to, like we said, we need to sit with this tension for a moment between this intertestamental period. We've now ended the Old Testament, but there still is hope, even in the tension, even in the limited uh, accessibility that we have to yeah. God in, at the end of the Old Testament, it's not as though he's not far. And it's not as though he hasn't given us a future. It's not as though he hasn't told us there are yeah. things coming. And if actually, if you were to peel back what was going to happen in our lives, 
we wouldn't necessarily see the future, but we'd see the current reality that he's right here and that heaven overlaps where we are. Right. That, now. The, that the two domains do overlap. You just have to have the eyes. We've said it over and over again. You just have to have the eyes to see that. And he's doing that through people like you and I. We may not be extraordinary, but he's still going to use us. He's going to partner with you and I, um, just like he did with Abraham and the Israelites, just like he's trying to do through Jacob. He's not going to leave you alone. So as we live our lives this week, we're understanding God's work in certain ways. Next week, we'll really understand how he works in our age. But even right now, this week, we need to imagine God is not far from us. He's right here. He wants to work in our lives. (laughs) You know, what do you say in the New Testament? I'm not far from you. If you would happily reach out for me, if you just try to get to me, I'll reach out and connect with you. Listen, even while we're in our homes, there's a little bit of heaven on earth right here. I'm in Christ. He's in me. You know, right here where two or three are gathered in my name, he is here in the midst of us. And maybe we need to imagine a little bit like it's not as dramatic as what Jacob had. Sure staircase and lights and angels (laughs) but we need to imagine that it is it is something special to be connected to god yeah uh we don't have all the rules they had right in the abrahamic covenant a lot of freedom we have a lot of freedom but we should be reminded right now coming into god's presence is a let's say scary but it's a serious thing and so we should try and this is what John in the epistles would say. Yeah, we're going to sin. The point is not to try to sin. The point is to try to live a righteous life. And if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We confess yeah. our sins. He forgives us our sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The point is we're trying to be mirrors. That's right. That's right. Maybe the big takeaway for you this morning is you understand that God originally created you yeah. and I to be living, breathing images of himself and not rebels, but living, breathing reflections of God set in a holy temple called planet earth, which now is ripped apart and broken, but we still have the promise. It's going to be fixed. I'm not, I haven't always been like a great environmentalist. Um, but I'm understanding things differently now. Sure. Uh, God wants me to be a good steward of planet Earth. Yeah. If I can do something to make it better, I should. Yeah. Knowing that ultimately he's going to make it much better. You yep. know? And, and like we read this past week in Matthew chapter 5, and again, again we're getting a little ahead of the story here, but like we read in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, even becoming people like Jesus was was wanting us to be is bringing heaven on earth within our own bodies because the first. kingdom of God is it's, here. But that's coming. yeah, right, yeah that's coming. Quit. All right, listen, Jumping that's ahead. that's as far as we're going to go today. <laughs> listen, that's a lot to think about. Yeah, but we basically just summarized the entire Old Testament through the uh, the narrative of God is trying to reunite heaven and earth. Eden was a temple. Take the story from there. You just heard it all. We'll pick it up next week uh, after that intertestamental period uh, when God does the big thing he's about to do for all of us.
Now, before, before we pray and finish today, let me one more time encourage you guys. We're talking about, you just said it earlier, where two or three are gathered. Listen, that's what we're going to try to push for with this. Uh, what are we calling it, Jeremy? Watch parties. Watch parties. That's right. Watch parties in homes. Please go on to the Facebook link. The we're on the website and the text messages and the emails. I'm sure we've sent out a hundred different ways to say it. To sign up. That's right. To host. To host. So let's just talk about what this might look like in a few weeks. Um, we'll probably send out a uh, a formal announcement about what some of our plans are. Maybe later this week, but uh, we're kind of waiting. We really want to listen to what Governor Abbott is saying, and we want to be conscientious of that. And he has. Uh, formally said, I, I want houses of worship. You, you have the right, you know, I recognize your religious liberties. And isn't it great to live in a state mm. where the governor says, I know there's a God and I know you have the right to assemble and worship God. But we want to be very careful. Um, just because people are in Walmart or, or, or somewhere else, our church is not designed for social distancing. There is no practical way for us to socially distance hundreds and hundreds of people sitting together, breathing the same air for in two limited hours. restrooms. Yeah. Your kids are going to all be there's just no way. And so well, we want to really think through this and we want to be sure that everyone's ready for this. We definitely do not want Cornerstone Baptist Church to be the Corona hotspot of Fort Worth. Where, where yeah. people can say, you know, hey, yeah, I was at church last week. Thank you a lot. All my kids got coronavirus, yeah. you know, from that Gosh. one person no, no, no. who that. knew they had symptoms and wouldn't stay at home right. because they wanted to come and hug everybody's neck. So I think we're all, I think we should all be on the same page about that. We are going to be, uh, diligent, uh, uh, very methodical mm-hmm. in making the next set of decisions. We're not going to rush right back into the church building, even if the governor says you can meet today. We want to make sure that society is ready to to do this. So I think you should expect to be in this format for some more weeks. Uh, We're not going to rush right back into the church. Um, Listen, when people are ready to go to a Cowboys game and a Ranger game and and, and in mass, I think then we're going to be ready. So for some time, we're still going to be this way, but we do feel comfortable. If you're comfortable, yeah. and that's one of the powers in your hands now, host a watch party at your house and bring over three or four or 20 people, whatever you want to, you know? When, yeah, when restrictions are lifted and we're ready. And we're ready to do that. Yeah. But if you're interested in saying, hey, I'd love for my, I'd love to maybe fix brunch and have some people, you know, we'll certainly open this room up to a few more people, yeah, you know, and. I don't know how we'll keep it quiet in here while we're broadcasting, but certainly <laughs> we, swim. Yeah, we, we, we can open it up. And uh, if you're willing to do that, you can sign up to host. Uh, the big thing this week is, no, God is near you. He is never going to forsake you. He has promised, I'll put my presence in you and I'll be with you to the end of the age. Never going to leave you or forsake you. So do not feel hopeless. Do not despair. God has got you right in his hand. The big thing is, are you looking for it? Are you aware that God wants to use your life for his purpose? Let's pray together and we'll chat with you later this week. Kids stuff will go live here in just a little bit. Okay. Pastor Dave, pray for us. Father, thank you um, for your word and and how, again, how deep your word is and how connected and linked the whole 
uh, narrative is and how each story slots into to what you're doing in the world, how you're rescuing and redeeming and renewing and, and ultimately going to make all things new. Um, we thank you that we're a part of that story now and that you've not left us alone, but rather your presence is with us and in us if we know you. And so um, I'm praying this week, Father, that we would uh, cling on to that hope, that we would hope in hope, that we would we would um, uh, not think about our lives as disconnected from you or like we're not extraordinary Christians just because we're not seeing these fantastic miracles that occurred in the Old Testament or whatever, but rather the reality is that you were right near us, and that is a miracle, True. that is a miraculous thing, and that, that heaven overlapping in us is what you were always intending to do and picturing to do within us. So help us this week to carry forward heaven by the way that we live, by the way that we think, by the, the words that we speak to one another and also to you. We love you. Keep us until next week um, and bring us back together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week.